Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Well, good morning. It's a great uh, privilege uh, to be here with you this morning and also uh, with those who are joining us online. And I realize I need to apologize. I'm sitting here in the front row and I look around and I go, I'm about the only one without a mask. So I guess I missed that memo, so my apology. Uh, you know, the end of this, this month uh, will mark 37 and a half years uh, since I began in pastoral ministry. Um, and yet, I have to admit, I find it still more than a little intimidating to be here sharing with all of you. <laughs> Esteemed professors, you know, uh, ABC people, you budding pastors and theologians, and uh, let alone my own colleagues and fellow members of our denomination's Board of Ministerial Standards and Education. Uh, running through my mind as I thought about this, this is the old adage that you probably all know, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, one doesn't need to be inordinately good at math to know that if I have served for 37 and a half years, I'm probably nearing the end of my full-time ministry journey sometime over these next few years. Uh, heck, I was going to say, I'm sure even Garth Williams could come to that conclusion. <laughs> and I say that because, because Garth is always saying that he went into ministry because he didn't need to be good at math. <laughs> so no one, I don't think, has particularly asked me this question, but I will tell you that if I were to be asked as to what's the one central theme or passion that has stayed with me through all my years of ministry. Right from when I was studying, and I did my MDiv at Regent College in Vancouver, and then I began pastoring at uh, Two Church Field, Middle Sackville and Midget United Baptist Churches near Sackville, New Brunswick. Lead pastor at First Baptist in Moncton for almost nine years, and then for these past 21 years, uh, having had the privilege to serve with the CBAC. But if I was asked, what's the thing that has remained really a constant passion through all of that? And of course, there's a lot of things I could rightly say. But certainly one of them is the beauty and the grace and the potency that often lies latent within every local church. Be it large or small, well-resourced or not, purring along on all cylinders or barely getting by. I think at times I have felt like something of an outlier amongst some of my contemporaries, for I've always felt that local churches, even with all of their flaws and foibles and inconsistencies and frankly at times even downright ugliness, that still remain a beautiful part of the Bride of Christ. And if we love the Lord as we claim, how can we dare harbor contempt or disdain for Christ's bride. 
No person who loves their spouse ever delights in hearing derision or worse for their beloved. And so I often wonder how Christ must feel when we who claim to serve in his name would dare speak with condescension towards even a part of his bride. In fact, I was encouraged just two days ago, I guess it was, to, to uh, look at my email and see uh, an email from Carrie Newhoff, uh, a post called Cynical Christianity, an urgent warning for Christian leaders. And in introducing that post, he writes, it seems like more and more Christians are increasingly negative, distrustful, and pessimistic, especially when it comes to other Christians. And we know we can apply that maybe in particular uh, context as we look uh, to what's happening in our wider society and kind of um, the polarization taking place. But, but, um, but I think it can affect all of us. Newhoff also says, cynicism, he says, is rotting the church from the inside out. I grieve when I hear cynicism or contempt expressed towards local churches, and particularly when I would hear of it from fellow believers, and especially, and, and this is not everyone, but sometimes, and, and believe me, 37 and a half years, I know the pain of ministry, I've seen the pain of ministry, but when I hear contempt from those who are called to be shepherds within it. Again, that's not to say that I don't believe that the church in all of its local expressions doesn't have huge challenges, both from within and without. Because I know it does. But I also deeply believe these churches need no more grace than I, and perhaps you, also need. A phrase that I long... Uh, have appreciated that I came across some years ago is this. It's not scriptural literally, but I think it's very consistent. When we love someone, their name is safe upon our lips. How do we talk about one another even when we critique or when we know there are challenges, when we are grieving, and yet speak of them as knowing that their name is safe upon our lips? So, even while we may and must rightly assess or grapple with the endless challenges that so many local churches may face, we need to do so out of an empathetic, loving posture towards them. Now, all of this got started in my mind, really, by reading an, an article a few weeks ago uh, by Anthony Costello. And the title of that article is is the most subtle of all sins. And that's why I asked for the passage from Exodus to be read. And that article begins this way. Is there a sin more subtle than the rest? A disposition which lies under the surface of many evils. Something that acts as the catalyst for all other immoralities, yet which is exceedingly hard to discern and to overcome. In Exodus 32, he says, we are confronted with one of the greatest moral failures in the history of God's people. It is a story which illuminates one of the most subtle of all human problems, the basis for many, if not most, of our failures. And he continues on, many are familiar with the story of the golden calf, However, we often make the mistake of thinking that in worshiping the calf, 
the Israelites are worshiping a different God. They are not. The sinful act here is not a breaking of the first, but the second commandment. So what happens at the foot of Mount Sinai that makes everything go so terribly awry? In short, Moses leaves and Israel is made to wait. That's it. Unfortunately, for creatures prone to sin, having to wait is one of the most dangerous conditions we can experience. Now, frankly, I'm not here to argue whether impatience is, in fact, the most subtle of all sins or the catalyst for all other immoralities. Though I do think that it's an interesting contention. I'll leave that for far more capable theologians than me to ponder. But I do believe that impatience is too often a spiritual cancer in our lives as believers, especially in our contemporary culture which has a propensity to emphasize productivity and results rather than patience and long-suffering. And make no mistake, what I'm saying here is no justification of nor plea for us to waste time or let opportunities pass us by or to become passive sluggards. But scripture abounds with counsel that affirms that the flourishing life that we're invited to in Christ is the one that entails a cultivating of patience and waiting. Think of all the verses that call us to wait on the Lord, to have a robust, enduring confidence in God's ability and timing, the expectation that he will yet accomplish his plans, even while it may not be in our expected timetable. I'm not going to go through all those verses, but one that comes to mind, maybe I'm reading out of the message, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Another example, be Psalm 37, verse 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait for him to act. This period of waiting, of being patient, is often about waiting for God's purposes, plans, and intents to unfold in his timing. It is about not running ahead with our own agendas, looking to arrogantly take things in hand by creating our own golden calves, whatever form they may take. Instead, it is about remaining in step with the activity and the timing of his spirit, discerning his ways, his leading, his next steps. Now, I told Dr. Borsma that uh, the title for today, originally I told him it was going to be The, the Devastation of Impatience. But as you, some of you preachers have no doubt discovered, as we continue to work on a message, it sometimes morphs into a new direction that we were not particularly expecting. And so rather than calling it that, I now wanted to call it the indispensability of patience, which again, I said to Spencer this morning, not particularly sexy title, I know. <laughs> but based on a lunch Spencer and I had a, a month or two ago, there's a couple of applications of this patience that I really want to kind of just explore with you um, as I look to wrap up, really. And the first is that I want to tie this call of waiting patiently on the Lord's timing 
into why we as the BMSE, BMSE are here this week. Now I realize, please understand, I know not all of you are of our CBAC family. And so um, maybe what I have to say might relate in some way to your own denominational family. I also not, know not all of you are necessarily here thinking God is calling you particularly into pastoral ministry. But I know that uh, a number of you may be. And when it comes to the BMSE within our denominational family, we know that the BMSE is, is sometimes uh, maybe even not so fondly referred to as the Sanhedrin. Uh, and that the process can be viewed as being just some ecclesiastical foo-farah uh, or, or hoops to jump through as Dr. Garth particularly likes to hear it referred to, <laughs> which means he doesn't. It's not to your favor to use such a term. <laughs> you see, we are a denomination that believes that spiritual leadership matters. And therefore that a pastoral calling and abilities, gifts, and character in keeping with that calling is phenomenally important. And I will tell you, this board recognizes that if they get this wrong, it threatens to bring great damage and devastation, not only to the individual, and, and all of us have seen that far too many times, but also to our local churches as well. And so it is out of this conviction that our CBAC's Board of Ministerial Standards and Education takes its work so seriously. This work of patiently waiting on the Lord for Him to reveal and confirm His will and leading with the individuals that they interview. This board recognizes that all of us who are followers of Christ, all of us, whether we'll ever be pastors or not, we're all called to ministry. But such an affirmation of the ministry of all God's people does not negate that some have a particular call to what we reference as pastoral ministry. And such a call is both an immense and a costly privilege. And such a call is not something that we conjure up for ourselves, but it is something that God both plants within the individual and also affirms through his people. This means our process is predicated on the requirement that any individual wishing to receive the board's confidence must first have an inner assurance that God is indeed calling them to pastoral ministry. But this inner call in and of itself is still not enough. This inner call must also be meaningfully affirmed by those from the wider community of faith who likewise conclude, yeah, we see it too. And that's why our process takes time. I know I've talked to many candidates at times who sometimes say, I mean, because this is a process of years, and, and it requires patience. Um, there's numerous steps involved. I won't go through them all with you here today. But it's all about wanting to faithfully discern what God is up to. So, that's one manner in which, when I read that article, um, the most subtle of all sins, I got thinking about patience and thinking about being here today. 
But remember, I started out talking about also my real passion for the local church. Even some of those that we look at and we go, oh, is there even life there? Um, I think I've already evidenced that I have no Pollyannish view of most local churches. I am well aware that most churches require every bit as much grace and love and patience, I said earlier, as any of us as individuals do. But I also believe that God desires so much more for churches than what most are currently experiencing. And I also am strongly convinced that the way these churches will grow into that greater experience, I mean, not setting aside the spirit and all that, but that the way the spirit will often work, almost without exception, is that such churches will need to have a godly, winsome, patiently loving pastor who will walk with them through the process to be a guide to them, similar perhaps to how a shepherd will guide their sheep towards greener pastures. But hear me, this also requires great patience. It requires a willingness to prayerfully wait on the Lord. Sometimes we want to rush far ahead than where the church is able to be at at the moment. We need to be attentive to his timing, to see and seize the opportunities God gives at the right time. I believe to the core of who I am that in his goodness and great grace, God has not given up on his people, these churches but is desiring to bring healing and restoration to them. It's one of the things we love about being in the BMSE is pastoral candidates come along, many already serving in ministry, and probably to the embarrassment maybe of one, but just before I came in here with Stephen Baker. And, you know, I know a little bit the story of Milton, and I know the challenges that Milton was experiencing, and I'm sure they still have lots of challenges. But I really get a sense that there's a renewed hope because they have a pastor who loves them, who walks with them, who delights in them, who champions them. So no doubt we could quibble about whether impatience is the root or the subtlest of all sin or the catalyst of most immoralities. But I think we would all have to agree that not only is patience identified as one of the fruit of the spirit that Paul identifies it also is an indispensable prerequisite for the other fruit which we are to bear. Fruit such as love, joy, peace, kindness. Patience is instrumental within all those. Patience is to be evidenced in a whole host of way for, ways for all of us as Christ's people. One way in which it is to be evidenced is as we as individuals vulnerably open ourselves to the input and counsel of others as is, in, as is done when appearing before a credentialing body such as the BMSE. And the second way in which it is manifested is as we as people, I mean all of us as parts of local churches, but particularly I'm thinking of pastors, but imperfect pastors and imperfect congregations in love and in grace and with great patience obediently move forward into the life and future that God yet has for them. So let's bow in prayer, please. Lord, I thank you for these individuals who are part of this school. We thank you, God, that uh, for what 
uh, a school like this historically and to this day has meant for us as a denominational family. But God, we know that your kingdom is so much bigger than any one particular denominational family. And we get to be a part of your kingdom. And Lord, uh, we, we celebrate the ways in which you bring people here and equip them and shape and mold and form them, God, into future ministry wherever that may take them. Into academia, maybe, maybe into pastoral ministry, maybe back into the marketplace, wherever that may be. But God, we pray that we will be a people who wait on you. That, Father, we will not rush ahead, creating our golden calves, thinking that we know better than you. So God, help us to uh, be your agents, your servants, in the ways in which you call us. And we pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.